Nice. Sam is going to read to us, and we come to the last in our series of sermons on the book of Habakkuk. And so if you turn to page 942, we'll have our reading from Habakkuk chapter 3. We are reading then from Habakkuk chapter 3. You can find that on page 942 in your pew Bibles. Let's hear God speaking to us. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Selah. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle 
in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. For the director of music on my stringed instruments, this is God's word. Amen. Well, as we know with the children, today is Palm Sunday, the day when the Lord Jesus entered into Jerusalem at the start of what we know as Holy Week, and it was a wonderful day. Christ the King arriving on the back of a donkey, making a grand entrance into the capital city of Israel, excited people crowding the way and waving palm branches, spreading their cloaks in the road. And many, many people praised God joyfully in excited and loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Hosanna, they shouted. Blessed is the King, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. To follow Jesus, they excitedly proclaimed as the most wonderful experience you will ever have in all your life to be part of his company is to be blessed beyond words. To be a disciple of the king is to know peace. It is to know joy. It is to know victory. And one week later, Judas had betrayed him. Peter had denied him. And the disciples had deserted him. And Jesus the king was hanging on a tree. It was neither what the people wanted, nor is it what they expected. How come in the real world, life stinks? How come that so many things happen to good people, that accidents happen, Happen. Even evil people seem to get off with murder while the poor and the vulnerable and the exploited get ground into the dirt. Habakkuk, as we know, 600 years before Christ, also lived in this real world. He knew what it was like to experience pain. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, we read in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How long do I have to call to you? But you do not listen. He knew what it was like to see his nation and society wander far away from the ways of the Lord. And then God replies, I've heard you, Habakkuk. I'm going to answer your prayer, but it will neither be the way you want, nor it will be the way you expect. I'm going to do something about all the bad things and the suffering in your nation that you see all around you. But the way I'm going to do it, you would not believe, chapter 1, verse 5, even if I were to tell you. I'm going to send the Babylonians, verse 6. That ruthless and impetuous people, those who are feared and dreaded, who are a law unto themselves. I'm going to use them, Habakkuk, to fulfill my purpose to execute judgment upon unrighteousness. 
But know this too, Habakkuk. And this is what we saw last week from chapter 2. The righteous will live by faith. And even those even more wicked people who have been used to advance God's purposes, they too will have to give account of themselves for the way they have lived. It is worth stating here that unbelieving people have a real problem with life and suffering. When bad things happen, for those who do not believe in God, there's nobody to blame. When this world gives you lemons, there's nobody to complain to. When life doesn't turn out the way you would like, and there's cancer, and there's failure, and there's unemployment, there's dashed dreams and hopes, and there's suffering and premature death and the losing of one's mind, then where do you turn to? That is a problem. That is a problem for atheists. If you believe in a random world which has no purpose, then do not be surprised if there is none. But here we can see that believing people facing the same sort of issues have a problem as well. And that is the problem we're dealing with these weeks in this Old Testament prophetic book. But there is a difference. Habakkuk is able to turn to the one true living God. That's the difference. Habakkuk is able to express his dilemmas as to the nature of God and what he is doing in the world to the maker of heaven and earth and then reflect upon what the answer is. And so he says, I hear what you say. Thank goodness, chapter 2, verse 18, you're not like a dumb idol who cannot speak and who cannot make himself known or guide. I've looked to see what you would say. I don't like what you have answered. But you know something? I still trust in you all the same. When we pray to God, sometimes the reply is neither what I want nor is it the answer I expect. But if God is in control, and he is, how much better that is than if we were simply experiencing the random effects of an unpredictable and purposeless universe. And so here in Habakkuk chapter 3, we see a humbled and chastised prophet praying again. Well, actually, he's singing. I wonder if you noticed that as Sam uh, read to us the prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth, chapter 3, verse 1, which um, the footnote tells us is probably a literary or musical term. And you know something? I'm happy to accept that without question. So Habakkuk sings. And what does he sing? Well, he sings hymns about God and what he has done and what he is like. That's what we do here all the time. Some of you know that when I visit in homes or in hospitals, I often read a hymn. 
I don't generally sing them for the sake of propriety, but often it's a very carefully chosen hymn which can express more deeply in a poetic way precisely what is on our hearts or what needs to be on our hearts at that particular moment in time. And so it is here in Habakkuk chapter 3. We have a hymn, a song to be sung with exuberance and you see in verse 19 with musical accompaniment. Here, God doesn't feel the need to explain himself, nor does he feel it necessary to justify his choices to his people, not at all. Instead, through this encounter, God gives Habakkuk a glimpse into his power and a hint of his presence at work in the world. Is that not interesting? Habakkuk wants an answer to his question, how long, chapter 1, verse 1. The prophet stands at his watch, chapter 2, verse 1, and looks to see what God will say in reply to his complaint that the answer God has given to his question isn't the response that he wants. But instead of justifying himself or his decision to Habakkuk, God instead chooses to grant an insight into his power and glory. God came, verse 3. Isn't that telling? God came. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. And this appearance of God, which we read about here, seems as though it has come straight out of some blockbuster movie in glorious technicolor with Dolby digital sound. Here is the Lord, the God Almighty, blazing with supernatural power, taking charge of the sky, dark waves of plagues, carrying disease, leading his chariot, which is followed by a black misty cloud of pestilence that shakes the earth and makes the people tremble. This, of course, is not the first time that God has responded to his questioning servants in such a way. Job, for example, as you know, experienced firsthand the pain of personal suffering and loss. But when the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind in Job chapter 38, it wasn't Job any longer who took the initiative. It was God who began to ask questions. Who was it that darkness covered by words without knowledge? Gird your loins like a man. I'm going to question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it, Job, if you know all of this. And of course, the answer is, I really have no idea, Lord, because you are God and I am not. There are a few things, I think, that upset any of us anymore on television. 
And yet something pained believers some time ago more than any gratuitous sex or violence or bad language. And that was that interview by Gay Byrne to Stephen Fry. And he asked what he would say to God if they met. And do you remember what Fry replied? I would say, how dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say. And anyone who knows the Lord or loves his word would surely want to reply, Stephen, you really have no idea what you're saying. Like Jesus to the soldiers who nailed him to the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. What about a bit of humility, Mr. Fry? Before the one whose glory covers the heavens, verse 3, and the splendor like the sunrise. A little less arrogance would be in order. Before the Lord, verses 8 to 15, who came, who revealed himself and might and power to the children of Israel as they traveled from the place of slavery to the promised land. Or do you remember when in Isaiah chapter 6 the prophet gained a vision of God on encountering the Lord seated on his throne high and lifted up Isaiah was lost for words and fell flat on his face and cried woe to me I am ruined I am a man of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King the Lord Almighty Here in Habakkuk chapter 3, God does not feel it necessary to justify himself, nor to answer the prophet's questions. Instead, God grants him a glimpse of his glory. And Habakkuk says in verse 16, I heard, and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. My legs trembled. Jonathan Lamb has a wee book on Habakkuk and the title is From Why to Worship. And that's as good a summary of this prophetic book as I can think of. For when God came, somehow the prophet's questions became irrelevant his protestation seems so strangely ill-advised. I wonder if anybody has ever had the opportunity to tell Stephen Fry about how the Lord Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem on the first Palm Sunday. On that occasion, the king was riding not on a horse or a chariot on the wings of the storm, but on a donkey. He came into Jerusalem and the people shouted, Hosanna. But a few days later, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him and the disciples deserted him. Jesus, God made flesh, was hung on a tree, 
crucified and verbally and physically abused by those he had created. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world so full of injustice and pain? And on that occasion, it was not the outraged people, but it was the perfect Savior who cried out, How long, O God, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. It was the perfect Son of God who felt the injustice and experienced the pain as on the cross he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on that first Good Friday, it wasn't God's prophet but God's only begotten Son who felt the agony of God's wrath as Jesus himself took on his own shoulders the judgment against all that is not right so that the righteous might live by faith. And that is what the disciples of Jesus are called to. To live by faith and not by sight. In the midst of injustice and violence and questioning and pain, not to rail at God, but to bow down before him. Not to stand in judgment over God, but to fall prostrate in humility before him. Because yes, God answers our prayers, but not necessarily in the way we could ever have imagined nor could have expected. God came. He came as the anointed one, verse 13, but not to save himself, but in order to save us by being crushed, verse 13, and stripped, and pierced, verse 14, and gloated at. Now, what could possibly be our response to such a God? How might we react to a God who makes himself known, but not in a way we could have anticipated, but in a way which would utterly amaze us? Chapter 3, verse 17 gives the answer. Having experienced a revelation of God who came, Habakkuk responds. And here we surely have one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture. Though the fig tree does not bud, Lord. Even though there are no grapes on the vine. Even though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. One day this week at breakfast time, we in the manse didn't have quite enough milk. 
We had enough for our tea, but not for our cereal. It was tempting to be grumpy. But having had a revelation of the glory of God, so that literally the prophet's bowels trembled, verse 16. Habakkuk was brought to such a place where he was able to say, yes, even to sing, Lord, even if I have nothing, no food, no animals, no income, nothing, yet I will still be joyful in God my Savior because even if all of these things be taken away, yet there is one thing that can never be taken away, and that is verse 19, the sovereign Lord, who is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on the height. Some of you will know the name Horatio Spafford. For him as a follower of Jesus, life was not one great Palm Sunday. It was more of a Good Friday. When the great fire of Chicago reduced his home city to ashes and destroyed most of his investments, and scarlet fever killed his four-year-old son, Spafford decided that his wife and four daughters, aged between two and 11 years of age, ought to take a holiday in Europe to England. And while crossing the Atlantic on their steamship, the ship was struck by another vessel claiming 226 lives, including all four of his girls. Only his wife, Anna, survived that tragedy. Upon arriving in England, she sent a telegram to her husband beginning with those immortal words, saved alone. Horatio Spafford then himself sailed to England and eventually, interestingly enough, went to Jerusalem where he lived and worked. Going over the very location of his daughter's death, And on his journey, he wrote these words, which have now become well-known worldwide as the hymn, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why was Horatio Spafford able to sing it as well with my soul? Because like Habakkuk, amazingly, astonishingly, through all his troubles and pain, he had come to see that while all things might be taken away, one thing could never be taken away. That is God his Saviour the one who came, Jesus, Jesus, the Lord.
Our Father God, thank you so much for Christ. And even though the things we've been thinking about right now have been excruciatingly profound, we bless you that you are God. But you're not a God who has remained aloof and far away, but you have come. You have entered into our fragile and vulnerable real world and invited us to live by faith, not sight. O oh, our God, whatever our lot, whatever our circumstances right now, whatever may yet to be, will you help us learn to say, learn to sing, it is well. It is well with my soul. O oh, our God, these are prayers we offer in the name and for the sake of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. We will rejoice in the Lord. We will rejoice in God our Saviour. Lord God, we thank you that you're a God who always provides. A God who hears our cries and listens. We come before you today and we acknowledge that we are a people who can sometimes make life all about me, when Lord, it's all about you. Thank you that in a world where life at times can feel dark, you give us an everlasting joy. And if we trust in you and we are yours, we can say that it is well with my soul. Thank you, Lord, for those who share your word with us. Thank you that you allow us the privilege of delving into your word. And we pray that we would use this in a way that shapes our lives every day to serve and glorify you. Thank you for the time that Elizabeth, John and Andrea spent in Moldova. Thank you for safe travel and an overflowing of your presence as they spent time building upon and beginning relationship with, relationships with others in your name. Please use this work for your glory. May you spark thoughts and conversations in the lives of people that they met so that they would know you better. As we think about the world, we can sometimes allow the overwhelming state we feel it is in to hold us back from bringing things before you. But Lord, you are sovereign. And so as we come this morning, we bring some of these situations before you now. You God are a God who casts out fear. But Lord, for so many people, in the world, they live in fear. 
fear of their lives, fear of losing things, fear of being lost. Fear this time, um, Lord, for so many students um, in America, they fear. They fear going to school, somewhere that should be safe, that should inspire you for the rest of your life feels like a place of fear and worry. Would you work in the lives of those who make the calls on gun control that they would make decisions that enable children and young people to go to school without fearing what the day may hold? We bring before you lands in which people are forced to flee their homes because there is an imbalance of power and evil seems so close. We think of Syria and the continuing rebel evacuations taking place. We continue to see pictures of men, women and children who are crying out in pain. Would you show your love and peace in this place, Lord, that people would be transformed in a way that could only be of you? Closer to home, Lord, we continue to pray for wisdom and guidance within our country's leadership. At times it can be so difficult for us to see how it could be difficult for a resolution to be made. However, Lord, we're so aware that we are humans who fall so short and at times can lose sight of what should happen as opposed to what we want to happen. Please, Lord, create a people who can show love towards each other, who can sacrifice part of themselves for others. Would they turn to you, seeking your guidance so that your will would be done in this place? Here in Bloomfield, God, may we continue to care about each other, to build each other up and be a family of believers who make a difference in each other's lives. Thank you that you have given us a family under your name of people whom without our lives would be very different. Encourage us, Lord, to build relationships with those we don't know and continue to work at relationships with our brothers and sisters in Bloomfield who we love so dearly. Would you help us to encourage each other with your word so that we would live lives that honour and glorify you? Help us to be examples for the children in our church that they would see what Christian community is and how important it is in our lives. And God, you are love. This week, as we come to think about your love through the Holy Week services, would you take us on a journey with you? Would you help us to experience you afresh? Be with Dr. Trevor Morrow as he opens your word with us and those from New Irish who will lead us in worship. Would we see your mercy and be left speechless, never losing the wonder of the cross? As we go today, Lord, may we remember that the day that history was split in two, for sin and death have been destroyed. Hallelujah.